0: You just never know. Your lowest point could lead to the best thing that ever happened to you. And I'm really glad I got those rejections because it wasn't the right time. And when it finally did get published, it was the right time, and it led to so many better things.
1: Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I'm your host, author, Sarah Nicholas, and literary agent, Sarah N. Fisk. Mary Mancusi is an Emmy award-winning former TV news producer who has written over 30 novels for kids, teens, and adults. She currently writes for Disney Animation tie-in novels for Disney Press and middle grade books for little brown young readers. She lives in Austin, Texas with her husband, daughter, and two dogs. In her spare time, she enjoys traveling, cosplay, playing video games, and making TikToks. So please welcome (laughs) Mary to the show. Hello.
0: Hello. (laughs) Good to be here.
1: Yeah. Thanks for coming on and sharing your story with everyone. Of course. We're going to be talking about your journey to publication, and we're going to start by going all the way back to the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing, and then how long did it take from there before you started pursuing publication?
0: I've always been one of those kids who was interested in writing. Before I could pick up a pen, I would dictate stories to my mom and she would write them down and I'd draw the pictures. So it was something I always had an affinity for. And in high school, I got really into it because I would write these serialized stories about my friends and like the rock stars who love them, you know, kind of fan fictiony stuff, but with them and they would read them in between classes and be like, where's the next chapter? Where's the next chapter? And that kind of gave me the bug because of course, every writer wants to be read. That's the best part about writing sometimes is having someone who is an enthusiastic reader. However, it took me a very long time to actually become a published book author, one, because my craft wasn't ready yet, and two, because it was very hard for me to finish a book. I I would have this shiny new idea. And then I would write down a few chapters and then I'd start to get bored in the middle and I would have this another shiny new idea and so on and so forth. And so I couldn't actually finish a book. And I think that's a a problem a lot of new writers have. And so eventually I had to buckle down and I was lucky in the sense that my job laid me off. (laughs) And so I had some free time and I was like, this is my one opportunity while I'm job hunting to try to finish something. And so I wanted to write a book, but I didn't really know what I wanted to write about. And so I got The Writer's Market, which at the time was this huge, thick book with all the different literary agents and publishers, and they all had the addresses you send to and what kind of stuff they published. And I saw that this company called Harlequin Published an awful lot of books. <laughs> and so I thought, well, they published a lot of books. What is this, romance? Oh, I can do that. And having not really been a romance reader, uh, I'd read like Danielle Steele from my grandmother's library, but you know, not being a regular like, Harlequin romance reader, uh, I set a myself to write the Harlequin romance. And then I started sending my queries and my partials out to agents. And shocking, I got rejected a lot. <laughs> and I, a lot of them would have comments like, you know, a Harlequin heroine wouldn't get drunk and dance on a table. <laughs> and I was like, but. But they're supposed to be like 24 years old. And this is what me and my friends do sometimes. (laughs) And so I was like, I was very confused until I started going through a lot of Harlequin novels. And I realized, you know, a lot of Harlequin heroines, even though their book age is 24, they act more like their 30s, 40s, where they own Airbnbs and they're widows and they have children and all the life experiences I hadn't had so far. And so I was like, I'm probably writing the wrong thing. And about that time, chicklet started to become really popular. And so I started devouring chick chicklet books, and I love them, but I thought I need to have a little bit of an edge, like I have to have something that's a little bit different. And so that was when I came up with the idea to do the first chiclet time travel novel. And it was called A Connecticut Fashionista in King Arthur's Court, and that was my first published book.
1: <laughs> All right. Can you tell me a little bit more about the moment you realized that you wanted to be a published author? And I've been asking this question a little bit differently this year. What did you think that that was going to look like for you? And how does that compare to how it is now?
0: Well, I was absolutely positive that if I became a published author, I would become a huge published author, like New York Times bestseller on my very first book.
1: That didn't happen.
0: (laughs) Uh, And I had to get really realistic and realize that publishing is more of a marathon than a sprint. And you're going to have some years where you're up and some years when you're down. And a lot of people, when they get to the down point, that's it. They, they walk away. It's too hard. They don't want, they can't deal with the disappointments. And, you know, that's okay. That's that's their journey. And it, it came to an end. But if you can stick through the down parts, I have realized now from doing this for so long, there is always going to be an upswing again. And if you can get through that and get to the upswing, then you have enough, you know, motivation to keep going a little longer.
1: Mm. You mentioned writer's market, but can you tell us more about once you decided you wanted to be a published author, how you learned more about the industry, like how it works, how to query all that different stuff?
0: Yeah, I was clueless. Uh, The writers' market was not a big help for me uh, because it just didn't have it. Just had facts, you know, and addresses, and and I really needed to talk to people. And so it wasn't until I started joining writer organizations. I joined RWA at the time, the Writers Romance Writers of America. And even if you didn't write romance, they were a great resource of super smart women who just understood how the industry worked. And they would have guest speakers, and then they brought me to a regional conference where I got to pitch to agents, and it was. those kind of experiences that really gave me publishing knowledge. And I feel kind of bad these days, everything is online, which is great. There's a wealth of information, but I do feel sometimes if you can have that person to person where someone takes you under their wing and talks to you about the industry, like we're doing here, I guess, it really can give you a different perspective than what you can just read in a website or in a book.
1: Yeah. I've definitely talked to a few authors who have queried before, you know, the internet was so full of information about publishing And we've talked about how before the problem used to be finding information, and now the problem seems to be figuring out which information you can trust.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of wrong uh, information out there. There's a lot of outdated information. And I mean, to be honest, some information is, it could be right for one person, and it may not be right for you. So, you know, you have to, like, kind of weed through a lot of stuff.
1: Yeah. So you talked about it a little bit, but can you go into a little more depth about your journey from, you know, first deciding you wanted to be an author to signing your first book contract? How many books did you write? How many books did you query? You know, all that, all the juicy details.
0: When I started querying agents, that was for a different book than I eventually got published for. And I was getting a lot of rejections. I was getting pretty discouraged, but, you know, I and I was entering contests and I wasn't winning And one day I just – there was just something that hit me, and I was just like, I'm just going to write another book. And I think that's important for new writers is to not just sit and spend years sending out one book because – you know, maybe that's not the book, or maybe that's the book for a few years down the road. So, you know, you have to find that first one that's going to connect. So that's when I wrote the chiclet time travel. And because that was so different, you know, in a concept, it was a very high concept, like what if a fashion editor went back in time to the days of King Arthur and relive the legend, like I can say that in an elevator pitch, and I can put that in a query letter. And it sounds cool right? Even if the book is trash, like the idea sounds cool. So suddenly I was starting to get interest from agents. Now, not all of them were interested in the actual book when I sent it, but I did have several offers of uh, representation. So that was my first step. And I thought, of course, once I got an agent, that was it. You know, I was (laughs) in the shade. I had several agents who wanted this book. And so I was really excited. And then we sent it out to about, I think, eight editors. One by one over the next like seven or eight months, they would come back and they would say, not for me. I can't figure out what to do with this. We think it's cute. But is it romance? Is it chiclet? Is it time travel? You know, like they were very having a very hard time, even though the concept was cool. Where do you put it in the bookshelf, in the bookstore? Mm. And so we we're getting a lot of rejections. And I started to despair. And I was writing another book at the time and doing all the stuff I was supposed to be doing. But it was really, really hard. To keep my optimism. And I really thought after all of this, of getting an age and everything, it was going to turn out to be nothing. And it ended up being the eighth, the very, very last editor who offered on the book deal. And it was Dorchester Publishing, which was a small, independent, not small, but an independent publisher not affiliated with like the big five, but they did a ton of romance. And they offered me a really pitiful advance of like (laughs) $2,000 and like a 4% royalty. I mean, it was the worst deal ever, but I was going to have this published book in the bookstores, you know, I was going to get to hold it in my hands. And it was just the complete dream come true for me. And you've got to remember back then there really wasn't options to self-publish. This was back in 2004. So, you know, you either got published traditionally or there really wasn't anything else to do with your book. So for me, that was the best deal I could get. And I took it. And, um, then I just, I went from there.
1: Nice. Can you read your successful query letter for us?
0: Okay. Here's my query for a Connecticut fashionista and King Arthur Court. Dear agent. I am seeking representation from my completed 90,000-word chiclet time travel manuscript, a Connecticut fashionista in King Arthur's Court, and thought your agency might be a good fit. 27-year-old fashion editor Cat Jones is not your typical damsel in distress, but when a gypsy curse sends her spiraling back in time to the days of King Arthur, she'll need all her 21st century wits and pop culture references to survive the legend, hopefully without changing history or scuffing her Manalos. Luckily, she's got her very old knight in shining armor by her side, Lancelot de Lac. He's honorable to a fault and handsome at sin and insists on helping her out, even though she's not quite sure she wants him to. After all, shouldn't he be off romancing Queen Gwen? Canaver? will cat manage to stay out of trouble long enough to get back to her coffee cosmopolitans and cashmere and what will her forbidden love of lancelot mean for the kingdom of camelot and the future as we know it i am an emmy award-winning television news producer living in boston massachusetts and this is my first novel i would love to send you three chapters and a synopsis if you are interested in reading more thank you for your interest marianne mancusi So this query got me my first agent. In fact, it got the interest of several agents, and I did get multiple offers, so you can assume that it was a pretty good query. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. And one, and probably the biggest reason, is the voice of the query. A lot of new authors think that a query should be like a business letter and very formal, whereas I believe that if you show the voice of your protagonist or the style of your book in the query, if you let that shine, that's going to catch their attention a lot more uh, than some kind of formal generic letter. Uh, This is your first chance to show them who you are. And not just who you are as in what your background is, where you're from, but who you are as a writer, how you sound. Do you have that voice that they're looking for? Because at this point, they might not see any partial of your manuscript or your synopsis. So this is all they get is a taste of your voice. So really try to let it shine. If you're writing a funny book, be funny. If you're writing a scary book, be dark. Just kind of give them a sense of the book itself through two short, very short paragraphs that should read like the back of a book blurb. Your first paragraph should be very short. You know, they usually skim this, but you wanna keep the essentials in there. It's 90,000 words, it's Chicklet time travel. Here's the title and we think your agency would be a good fit. Done, go into the book after that. Do not make that first paragraph long. They are going to skim it, I promise you. And the last paragraph, do not worry if you don't have some huge platform or some, you know, doctorate in the subject matter you're talking about. You're not trying to sell a nonfiction book. They know you're a new author. They know you didn't, you know, have some kind of, you know, crazy Pulitzer Prize winning thing before this. Um, they don't want to hear about the time when you were eight and you got a submission into uh, National Geographic. It doesn't matter. Just keep it short and sweet. Say you're an author. You live here. Maybe your mom. Whatever. You'd love to send them something. Thank you very much. Let's close out the letter. And so it's short, it's sweet. Remember, the agents are going to be eating hundreds of these probably a day. So you really want to stand out with your voice, and also not bore them with it being really long. And I think those are some aspects that made this query stand out out of all the ones they read, and this ending up being my
1: first published book. How has your experience been since signing your first contract? Especially, were there any kind of surprises along the way?
0: Yeah, there were a lot of surprises because when you sign your first contract you don't think about the long-term effects of a contract and um, when the company started having trouble several years later uh, it was very hard to get the rights for my books back because mm. now ebooks are a huge thing and I could have made I could make more money off of them by reprinting them myself and so it was very lucky that I had a good agent who was able to negotiate them getting me my rights back because a lot of authors lost their rights in that deal. And when they they sold them to another company or they got buried in the, you know, when the company went under as an asset. So I would say one of the things I really learned is to have a very good reversion clause in your contract where it says if they don't sell this many books in two years or you know if the book goes out of print or if the company got of business you get the rights to your book back because that's your intellectual property they should only be licensing your book you, they shouldn't get to own it for life so that was my number one thing I learned from my first contract
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then you now write some books for Disney you write some frozen books which is just delightful how did that come about
0: So I wrote a independent book that had nothing to do with Disney. And because Disney is also a publisher, they uh, chose to decide to publish my book. Um, It was called The Camelot Code. And they published it under Disney Hyperion, which has nothing to do with Disney per se. You know, no Disney characters or anything like that. But I did get in the door that way. And then about a year later, my... my editor there asked if I would like to audition for a Disney press book. And so I was like, of course, that sounds amazing. And so I did an audition, they pay you a little bit of money, like $500. And you do a partial uh, of a book, maybe like two or three chapters and a synopsis. And what you write for them becomes their property. And they decide if they want you to be hired to write the book. And I did not get hired to write the book. And it was so sad because I love the story that I wrote. Uh, and it will never probably see the light of day because I don't own it. I got paid to write it and I had to give it away. So I was very devastated at the time. And I thought, you know, this was I blew my chance and uh, I wasn't going to get to write for Disney. Mm. But then about a year and a half later, they emailed me out of the blue, my my agent did and said, Hey, if a frozen book were to drop in your lap, do you have the bandwidth for that? And I was like, uh, (laughs) and it was a much better franchise than the one that I had auditioned for and one of my favorites. So it really, it really worked out. And I I had no idea. They had kind of just kept me in a back pocket because I wasn't right for the book that they were auditioning me for. And then when they were looking for authors for new projects, they were, they didn't make me audition again. They were just like, Oh, she would be good for that. Hmm. I do believe a little bit that maybe they saw my Frozen cosplays uh, on Facebook (laughs) too and knew I was a fan of the series. That was a really cool experience. And since then, I've signed on to do a lot more Disney tie-ins because kind of once you're in, you're in, which is great uh, because they're really fun to work for. And I love Disney, and so it's a really good match for me. So that's sort of an alternative way to get published that I think a lot of people are curious about. It doesn't have to be a big company like Disney. Uh, There are lots and lots of work for hire uh, outlets out there, you know, anything from, you know, my friend wrote a clue book for Hasbro through Abrams. Uh, There's those little chapter books. A lot of the chapter books for like younger readers are all work for hire because It doesn't pay to publish individual titles because they're so little, so they might hire someone to write them for in-house publishing. So there's a lot of opportunity out there uh, for those kind of books. And yes, you're not writing the characters of your dreams from your heart uh, that you made up yourself, but they sell really well. A lot of them pay really well, and it's a great way if you can get in to have regular writing work.
1: Yeah. I remember when you announced that and I was like, that just seems perfect for Mary. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, (laughs) it really was. And it's And you don't have to be an author of many, many books to get in on work for hire stuff. You probably do need an agent who's going to know that, in a, you know, auditions are coming up or they're looking for a writer that would be good for this thing. And sometimes you do auditions and nothing comes of it like the Disney one. I've done other ones, too, where you just you almost feel like you're wasting your time because you're just writing for nothing. And then they're like, oh, no, we went with someone else. So you have to get used to that kind of process. But it's not that different from querying anyway, because you may get rejected either way. So Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) yeah. And sometimes it can happen weird ways. I know like I was out on submission and a publisher or an editor didn't want the book, but really liked my writing style and was like, would Sarah be interested in work for hire in the future? Nothing's come of it yet, but I just thought it was like cool that she asked. She seemed to like my writing enough to think maybe I could do something in the future with them. So that was, that was fun.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. And I know you, you totally could. So just keep bugging them. The, the yeah. sneaky wheel gets the grease on that. Kind of thing.
1: <laughs> All right. It is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA. Are you a pantser or a plotter?
0: Mostly a pantser, but I'm trying to plot a lot more these days. For Disney, you have to, because you have to get the yellow line approved by the film team.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter?
0: I am an underwriter who likes to overwrite in my revisions. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? Definitely morning. When you start with a new book or a new project, do you typically come up with character or plot or concept or something else first?
0: Concept and first line of the book. I can't get started till I know what the first line is.
1: Hmm. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Coffee. When you're writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Silence. That's why I can't work in coffee shops. <laughs> When it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person?
0: I am a write a rough draft until a certain amount of chapters, then go back and polish and then get a little further and then go back and polish and get a little <laughs> further. And it's, it's a terrible way to write, but that's my process.
1: Yeah. What tools or software do you use to draft? Just Microsoft Word. Boring old. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Revising. I love revising. <laughs> Do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Sequential all the time.
0: Maybe I'll write a little ahead, but yeah.
1: Final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert?
0: I'm an extrovert, which makes the pandemic hard.
1: <laughs> yes. I yes, miss all it the does. school visits
0: and all the you know conferences and conventions and reader things.
1: Yeah. So the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. We're going to talk about that second cue. What were some of the worries that you had on your journey and were they realized or did you overcome them or how did that shake out?
0: I would say, like most authors, you're always worried about your next book and whether there'll be a next book. Now I'm not so concerned with that because one, I've done this a long time, but two, there's so many more opportunities that I never have to stop. So if a publisher decided not to publish me anymore, I would just write books for myself and put them up myself. So I love that authors have so much more freedom to not be dependent on a system. And though I've been mostly a traditional writer and the system has worked well for me, I also dabble in hybrid stuff because my old books that that aren't being sold anymore. Why can't I take those back and make more you know, money on them and, and introduce them to new readers that may never have seen them the first time around? They might have been in Walmart and Barnes and Noble for a month, and now they can live on Amazon for the rest of their
1: lives. Hmm. And now we're going to talk about the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that's kind of different or interesting or unique?
0: I would say that one, I'm really a boring writer. A lot of my writer friends love to meet up and write together, write at coffee houses, you know, and have noise and things happening around me. They like to do writer retreats. And I just wanna be like all by my lonesome and like the most quiet little cave uh, possible. And that's when I do my best work. However, I do do a lot of work in the car because my daughter dances about 12 hours a week. And so a lot of times uh, it's easier to just sit and write in the car than go home. So um, I have a Tesla now, so I just put it in camping mode and I don't have to waste any gas. And I just sit there and write. So I have a little collection of tiny golden owls that I got from Epcot in uh, Disney World. And they are supposed to bring you luck. And the first one I got, I got a really good book news thing. And so it became a habit that every time I go to Disney, I have to pick up a golden owl. And I've gotten a lot of my friends in on it too. And they have always had good publishing luck as soon as they get a golden owl. So I highly recommend it at the Japan store in Epcot. They sell out a lot. But if you can get lucky and get one. Nice good book news.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I love little little tokens like that. That's great. When you were in the lowest parts of your journey, what kept you going? And why did you stick to it?
0: One of the books that I wrote, The Camelot Code, uh, the one that eventually got picked up by Disney, got dumped twice by two different publishers. Uh, So one of the publishers went out of business and one of the publishers changed the way they were doing their line and went more literary. And so twice it got dumped and by that point i was sending it out and no one was interested in it and we sent it out to everywhere and everyone kept saying it's a dead book like just move on and i was doing other books too so you know I, I it made sense that i should just give up on this book but there was something about this book that i just really loved and it was so depressing to me in fact the day my daughter came home from the hospital and she's 10 now but the day she came home from the hospital my agent Uh, sent me five rejection letters for the book. She was like, well, I didn't want to give them to you while you were having a baby. And I was like, oh, great. So now that the the, the joy of having the baby is worn off and I'm in like full on postpartum, you give me five rejections. And that was probably the lowest point of my author career. I cried and cried. And one of those rejections was from Disney. And then... It was like eight years later, uh, you know, (laughs) my daughter's in elementary school and that's when they ended up buying the book. And then it led to a whole career at Disney. So you you just never know. Your lowest point could lead to the best thing that ever happened to you. And I'm really glad I got those rejections because it wasn't the right time. And when it finally did get published, it was the right time. And it led to so many better things.
1: Yeah, I really like the story because there's kind of this like conflicting advice or seemingly conflicting advice that we hear that's you know, write the next thing. And then also we hear, if you really love a book, don't give up on it. And this is kind of like a nice mix where you didn't give up on it, but you also wrote the next book and you moved on. And that allowed you to eventually be able to bring that book back and find success with it. So I think even though we think of it as conflicting advice, it may not be conflicting advice. It's just a kind of timing thing a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, I absolutely believe it's timing. Uh, You know, if you try to sell a vampire book a few years back, you would never, ever, 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 ever sell it. And now like editors are looking for vampire books. So dust off the old vampire books and (laughs) send them out again. You know, the editors change so often. Their interests change so often. They're not going to remember what you sent them five years ago. And so just, you know, dust it off, give it a new shine, a new polish. And uh, why not? What's the worst they can say is no. (laughs) You have to be, as an author, not afraid of the word "no." You just have to let that mm. let that go, so to speak—not <laughs> <laughs> to quote Frozen. You just have to not be afraid of someone saying, "I don't want this," or "This isn't good enough," or "This isn't for me," because that's fine. Because it might be good enough, or some you know more interesting for someone else. And you only need one yes. So you just you know get over that you know feeling of rejection and 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 or, or eat a lot of ice cream and cry when you get rejected, but then just
1: (laughs) yeah. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you made along the way that you might like to share with listeners so they don't make the same ones?
0: I would say I wrote in a lot of different genres and a lot of different age groups, which was great for me in some ways, because I really have a lot of interests. And so I might want to write a romance series, I might want to write a middle grade series, a young adult series. And I'm not saying this is necessarily a mistake that I made, but it did make it much harder to have a Career that built upon itself. And so, if you're always writing different things, every time you write a new book and get it published, you're kind of starting over with a new audience and a new, you know, marketing pitch, and your website has to be adjusted. If you can't stay with one thing for a while anyway, not for the whole, your whole life, but, you know, if you could write a string of middle grade books, let's say, that are all kind of action, adventure, sci fi, fantasy, whatever, that they would appeal to the same group, then you're building something and it's a lot easier to kind of move up in that way so Mm -hmm. but it's hard because I like writing a lot of different things so you know it's a trade-off
1: yeah you have to kind of balance your interests figure out what works for you yeah can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you learned on your journey to publication
0: I know it sounds cliche, but, you know, I really think never give up. And so many stories I could tell, like the one I have told already, you know, shows that there is something to perseverance. I have seen so many authors fall along the way. I've been published since 2005. So that's quite a few years, like 17 years. And so I've seen many authors come and go, some with million dollar book deals that they seem bright and shiny and you're just jealous of them and you think, oh, I'll never be like that. But you know what? I'm still standing and I'm still publishing and I'm still living my dream where some of these people rose and fell really fast. So don't compare yourself to anyone else's journey. It's going to be different. It's going to be yours and just own it and love your journey for what it is. And if it's not in the timeline you want, just be patient as much as you can. And if it's not going the way you want, reassess and figure out your goals. You know, your goal might not be to be a New York Times bestseller. Your goal might be to have a core group of readers that just cannot wait for your next book. And that's that's huge. Figure out your journey and, and, and make it your own.
1: That's good advice. I call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So who are some of the people or even organizations who helped you along the way and how?
0: The Romance Writers of America was a great organization for me as an early writer. They really gave me support both emotionally with friendships and also, you know, giving me such business knowledge. So I really am a fan of writers groups like that friends, fellow writer friends are the only ones who can understand you in this journey. Uh, So, you know, I have so many great writer friends like my friend Diana Peterfoy and she and I grew up through the writing industry together and we're still writing. And so without her, I don't know how I could do it. Uh, and then I have a lot of Austin writer friends locally that will get together and write or do retreats, even though I'm not that kind of writer. I still go because I love them. <laughs> and uh, they just give you so much support just to have someone to text and say, you know, oh, my gosh, I got a break up with my agent or oh, my gosh, look what they did. And then most recently, I co-authored a book, a Frozen book with Jen Kalanita, and she's become my best writing buddy. Uh, it was so much fun to co-write a book and be able to bounce things off. We both are like writing our own books now and being like, oh, I wish we were collaborating because, you know, <laughs> we still send each other stuff and ask each other for plotting advice because now we're used to working together. So and I'm very lucky to have, have had a lot of good agents and editors over the years as well. Uh, I really, really love my current Disney editor. So, yeah,
1: I'm very, very fortunate. Nice. Can you tell us about some of your upcoming books?
0: So I have a new Frozen book that I co-wrote with Jen Kalanita, and it's called Polar Nights uh, Cast into Darkness. And it's the first post-Frozen 2 story about Elsa and Anna and a new adventure they have after the events of Frozen 2. And then with Little Brown Young Readers, I have an awesome middle grade dragon apocalypse story. I had written a dragon apocalypse novel for a uh, series of novels for teens, but this one is for tweens, uh, more of that 8 to 12 year old range. And it's called New Dragon City. And it's about a boy who lives in post-apocalyptic New York that has been decimated by dragons. His family hates dragons and he meets a baby dragon and uh, they save each other's lives and realize perhaps they are more alike than them.
1: And that comes out in October. Nice. Mary, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your experience with everyone. Th- thank you for having me. It was fun. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode of Query's Qualms and Quirks. You can find the text of Mary's query in the show notes, along with links to find out more about her and her books. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate if you helped me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com/pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description, or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.